Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is the top five storylines in NCAA men's basketball. And we are back at it today with another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast. We took a bit of a break last week because... We made a lot of content, and there are a lot of episodes that you guys should go, should go check out. A couple of first-time guests on the podcast. And speaking of first-time guests, we have a first-time guest here on the podcast today. And he's built up quite the resume for himself. So he's a writer and podcast host for the Big East Coast Bias page um, on SB Nation. He's a contributor for Busting Brackets, and he's also a contributor for ZagsBlog.com. Please welcome to the podcast, Henry Eisenberg. Henry, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. First off, thank you, Ryan and Jalen, for having me on. It's it's March. It's spring outside, feeling great. So the whole mood is positive right now. So, Henry, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, I started in what you could say the college basketball business in around late November. I had gone – I'm. I'm in, I live near Chicago, so I I went to a DePaul game, loved it, wanted to do something about it. So I applied for Big East Coast Bias, and they they brought me on. So I've been covering DePaul games at Wintrust ever since. Um, Other than that, I've, like you mentioned, joined with Fansided and also Adam Zagoria, and just trying to build up the Twitter page, but it's just great to see the growth, and I mean, I appreciate you guys for having me on because it seems like it's paying off a little bit. It's so interesting because you know you were telling us a little bit before the pod started as well. You have not really been doing this for a long time. You said you just started in November. Yes. Yeah, tell us a little bit more more about like the journey and how you got started. I've I, I mean I feel like a lot of people will say this, but I've been into sports my whole life. So I mean I, I've wanted to do videos about it, write about it, and I I've followed SB Nation for a while. So when I saw that they didn't have anyone to talk to talk about DePaul, I thought there was an opportunity there, and I ended up working out. And I feel like the biggest thing that's brought me to where I am today is the connections. And it's more so just personal connections. A lot of the guys in the business, like John Fanta, you mentioned Kevin Sweeney, Sean Paul, everybody in this business is awesome. They just want to help you grow. And so just talking to them and they've helped grow my page. I mean, like when uh, Kevin, I met with him at a DePaul game for the first time and the next the next week he brought me to a Northwestern game, got me credentialed there. And uh, I tweeted out about it. He, he responded, John Fanta responded. So they've, they've helped the growth a lot, but it just the personal connections, having someone to reach out to, if you have any questions is, has been great. That's awesome. That's great to hear that you built so many connections and we got a lot to get into with this episode because there's, <laughs> A lot that happened within college basketball within the past week. And the first thing that we're going to talk about, all the upsets. And I know we mentioned all the upsets in one of our previous episodes as a top storyline. Well, we're back at it again with this topic because 
the amount of upsets that happened this past week is is insane. So looking at the top 25 specifically, Gonzaga falls to St. Mary's. Uh, Arizona falls to Colorado. Kentucky loses to Arkansas. Auburn loses to Tennessee. Kansas loses to Baylor. Purdue loses to Michigan State. And Texas Tech, they lose to Texas Christian University. So, Henry, I'll start with you on this one. What are your initial reactions to all the upsets? And what do you think is the biggest upset? Well, originally, I'm not surprised. Upsets happen a lot. To have all that happen on one weekend, unprecedented. It was the first time in history that I believe seven AP top 10 teams lost in the same day. So, but I think the the biggest upset, I, 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 it's not an upset, but the, the team I'm most concerned about from the loss is Auburn, who lost at Tennessee, like you mentioned. They, they, it seems like they haven't really been able to put it together on the road. They have the talent and early, I mean, they got to number one earlier in the season, but, and they've lost three out of the last six games on the road and the three games they won were at home. So when they're on a neutral court and they don't have that home court advantage, that's that's the one thing I'm worried about. Jalen, same question to you because, again, this is a big week in college basketball. We're heading to conference tournaments for some of the conferences, but this is also the last week for a lot of these teams to kind of prove themselves as uh, national championship contenders, national championship favorites as well. So what are your initial reactions to the upsets and which upset do you think was the biggest this weekend? So, I mean, I think my initial reactions are just obviously like everybody said already bizarre that it happened in the fashion that it did all of the top six teams falling in the same weekend, obviously is huge, but the weird thing about the word upset, right? Especially when we talk about it within the college framework is this idea of like a team that you did not expect to win coming out with the W. There was actually two of these teams that were favored in these games. and just came out with the win. They were just over top seeds. I think, um, I think in the games against uh, against Auburn, I think the other one might have been against Kansas. I think those two teams were not favored going in. I'd have to double check that, but I know there was two of those six uh, two of those six games that uh, the, the losers actually were not favored going in. The other thing too is if you want to talk about teams to worry about, I agree with Auburn out of the fact that if Jabari Smith, who some argue was the top pick in the NBA draft coming up, right? If Jabari Smith can drop 27 points and eight rebounds and still like they lose, they're three and three in their last six, too. They like been this is something that like demise wise has been slowly but surely coming. They worry me because their guard play with Katie Johnson and Wendell Green Jr. gets really sketchy down the stretch where they can really put the game in harm's way. And that's hurt them a couple of times. But the team that I would say I'm actually the most worried about is Purdue. They don't guard, like, much at all. And if your thought process going into the NCAA tournament is to just outscore folks, if your shot is not falling, that's how you get put out early. Not just put out, like, put out bad, but I think in, in a way that'll be flat-out disrespectful in the first round around 64. So I think they're the team that I'm worried about the most. Um, I hope that the refs kind of conv- uh, convene or reconvene with one another heading into the postseason as well when it comes to Zach Eady. Zach Eady is getting Shaquille O'Neal treatment 
when it comes to the foul calls, dude. That was one of those things that I was watching back on the game. And I'm like, dude, this one, this dude's picking up like ticky tack ones. He was in foul trouble um for most of the game. I would say Purdue is the one I'm the most worried about overall because if they can't guard, they're not gonna be able to go far in the tournament. Um, obviously, I think Auburn is right there behind them. The other teams, honestly, I mean. They weren't shockers. I think people sleep on St. Mary's every year, yeah. right? I think in the WCC, if it's not Gonzaga, who are you? It happens with BYU a lot of times, too, when they're usually decent. Colorado's been good all season. And when it comes to, like, Arkansas, for example, like, let's not act like J.D. Note is not, like, a top 15 player in terms of, like, player of the year running. Like, that dude's been legit all year. So, just a crazy weekend. Crazy Saturday, but crazy weekend in, in – um, in totality just looking at the ap top 25 as well because there was not a lot of shuffling in the ap top 25 and i definitely want to get both your guys's thoughts um, on this in a second but just to kind of look at the teams who were upset this past weekend gonzaga stays atop of the ap top 25 at number one arizona even though they lose to 19 and 10 colorado stays at number two baylor who was uh, number 10 before this, hopped up to number three. Auburn, who lost as well. They went from three, they're down to five. Kansas only dropped one spot. Purdue, they dropped four spots to number eight. Texas Tech fell out of the top 10 completely and is at number 12. So, Henry, I want to start with you on this one. Do you agree with the AP Top 25 right now? And do you think that there is a team that should be in a different place than where they're currently slotted here in week 17 of the AP top 25? That's, that's a great question, Ryan, pulling it up right now. Um, I think that out of the top 10, you kind of see who the big shufflers are and, or at least moving a, a significant amount. And Jalen, you touched on this Purdue. They, I think that was the right thing. Michigan State's been struggling, although they were at home. That was definitely a tough loss for Purdue. And coming up, we're about to see them play at Wisconsin. So that could be a quick two straight losses for them, which would put them out of the top 10. Uh, other than that, I, I think Texas Tech's slide, what was it, three spots? I, I think that's, that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. I they're losing on the road to a tournament team, not the end of the world. I still think they're a top three team in the Big 12. Speaking of the Big 12, Kansas and Baylor are contenders. I'm sure we'll get into that a little later. But I, I think that the AP 20, top 25 usually does a good job of the measurements. And I don't, I don't see a lot of discrepancy between that and metrics or other people's opinions. Jalen, how, how about you? Because again, this is this was something that I thought was really interesting when we were talking about this yesterday. The fact that the AP Top 25 didn't shuffle around as much as I thought it would with the amount of upsets. Now, granted, you look at the Gonzaga loss and you also look at the Auburn loss. Those were two, those were two teams that lost to two other Top 25 teams. So granted, they probably would not have moved around as much. But I still thought it was interesting that Gonzaga was still at number one and Arizona was at number two despite them uh, losing this past weekend. But what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got to go with Henry on this one in terms of, like, the fluctuations not being, like, super, like, gripe-worthy in terms of, like, having any real beef. This late in the season, um, if we're going to be real about the top 25, the real shakeup is about, like, the seeding process when we go into Selection Sunday. That's really where these things matter the most, but I think that's going to be affected more by the actual conference tournaments than these last couple of games. Um, so I'm actually not too worried about the AP Top 25 like this, like at this stage, especially with most of these teams, like you mentioned earlier, coming down the stretch. Uh, some of these teams only have like one or two games left. For example, Baylor, right? They play Iowa State next, and they're coming off a win over Texas too. So like I think that they, I mean, they might even have a chance to move up higher, I think, you know, in the last real polling of this. But, I mean, outside of that, everybody got what they deserved, I feel like is another way to put it, right? Like, Auburn moving down two spots was like, okay, we're not going to disrespect you because we know that what your resume has been throughout the season. But we can't let losing to Arkansas slide too much. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we can't, uh, we can't put ourselves in that situation. Uh, excuse me, not Arkansas. Um, excuse me, to Tennessee. We can't let that slide. Same thing with uh, Kentucky. I was going to – that was the team I was actually referring to. Them moving down by one. Losing to Arkansas is not a bad loss. It's good enough to bump them down, but it's not a bad loss to have. You're talking about a team that's also in the top 15. So I just think overall, every team is slotted where they should be. I want to see the seeding. I said it a little bit earlier. I think I'm just yeah. going to like stick with that. I want to see the seeding. The seeding matters to me a lot more. Um, we're going to talk about Providence in a second, and that's where I'm going to actually get my, <laughs> my, my true enthusiasm about this top 25 in a second. But um yeah that I, I think the I think the AP top twenty five is fine. So I, I think it's really interesting with the seeding purposes because again selection Sunday is about twelve days away, and I think when it comes to the actual seeding of who will be the top four number one seeds, I think that's going to be where the biggest conversation is. But real quick before we move on, and I want to get your thoughts about this as well. Who do you think the top four number one seeds are going to be? Because this is where the true discussion I feel like is is going to be. And with the amount of national championship contenders, there are a lot of options. Henry, I'll start with you. Who are the top four number one seeds heading into Selection Sunday? All right. Well, first off, Gonzaga has got to be in there, as well as Arizona. They're... they're playing in a weaker Pac-12 this year, and I don't see them. I, I, they should win their tournament. I also think Baylor is going to be a one seed. They've, I, I touched on this a little bit, but I, I really like their play, and I, I think that they have the, the, the amount of wins that they're able to get, and the strength of those wins within the Big Twelve from top to bottom will give them that great resume. And then in the four spot, I think it's Duke's right now to lose. Right now. Because they, if they run the table, which they are fully capable of, and which they honestly should, because like the Pac-12, the ACC this year is not that strong of a conference. In fact, probably the weakest out of the Power Six conferences. So I would say that fourth spot is Duke's to lose. So it's it's the top... <laughs> It's the AP top 25, top four right now. Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, and Duke. So Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, and Duke for Henry. Jalen, I did throw you a curveball on this one. And mm-hmm. this is a very tough question because there are, a, like I said like I said earlier, 
a lot of different answers. Who do you think are the top four seeds? I think the way Henry phrased that is so good when you talk about Duke because, like, the minute you asked that question, I said, is Duke a four? Is, is Duke the four? Like, because they're the oddball. And, Ryan, we've harped on the ACC mm, a lot throughout the season, but I want to say specifically on at least one or two episodes. But my biggest thing is, is Duke, like, hanging their hat? If, they, if they're awarded a one seed, in the NCAA, NCAA tournament. The question that I have to ask is, are they hanging their head on that early season win over Gonzaga? Is that what is, like, keeping them afloat in that conversation truly? Because, like Henry said, like, the ACC has been bad. Like, Ryan, we're going to end up doing a first four in, first four out, um, probably, like, in the next, like, week, right? Like, considering the circumstance? Yeah, literally within the next week. And you know how I feel about UNC. But let's be real. Like the only the to me, they're a first four in team. But the only reason why I see them as a first four in team in the first place is because I think there's a lot of teams that the committee's gonna rather see sitting on the shelf than rather than adding another ACC team. Like I think they rather get four. Let's say four. Let's not say five, Ryan. We said that last time, and I didn't like that. We said maybe five, and I don't I, I don't feel confident in that anymore. Let's say the ACC gets four in with North Carolina being that last team. Is that really the is that really the strength of schedule that you're going to hang your head on in terms of being a one seed? I'm not sure. I'm going to take – I think I'm still going to rock with like – I think I'm still going to rock with Auburn low-key. I just think their resume overall has been pretty solid. I think I still got to go with Auburn. I got to be real. Yeah. Oh, I think Auburn, it's just, I don't feel confident in them. I think right now you have to win out. Maybe you you have one game of breathing room, but Auburn, there are so many teams at that top of the conference, especially when it comes time for the SEC tournament that can trip them up. And you could argue that they're not even the top team in their conference. You're right, though. Yeah. That's a good point. That's the, but I think that's a great like 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 you like you said earlier, the idea that it's Dukes to lose, I think that's why these conference tournaments are gonna mean so much for these like yeah. these teams on the on the fence between being a one or a two or a two and a three. I, honestly, I'm not gonna lie to you. I think a lot of people don't be- believe in Providence. And like I think that people think they're more of like a four seed, uh, like respectfully, despite the fact that their resume looks like what it is. And I understand. We'll talk about that in a second. Like I said, I, I keep harping on this team because I love the Big East so far this season. But like there's a lot of these teams that are like on the fringe of being, eh, you could be this or you could be that. I think Duke, they're the ones, I mean, they're hanging by a thread, like. And even that's being nice, I feel like, respectfully. But I, I got to lean with you, Henry. I got to be honest. Between Duke and Auburn, I would say Duke's safer. But I don't know, man. I don't know. So let's just let's just kind of get into that Big East conference because there, are, there is a lot we can talk about with this Big East right. because Jalen and I have been harping on it all season. We think this is the most loaded conference in terms of how many great teams there are. But looking at one specifically, let's talk about Providence. They won the regular season title in the Big East Conference, and Jalen is, I think he's maybe their number one fan, I will go ahead and say. Oh, I called it. I called it the beginning of the year. And, yes, and their sir. resume does stack up. So 
Jalen, your thoughts on Providence, for those who don't already know about your thoughts on, Pro- your thoughts on Providence, and how do you think that this team will fare in the conference tournament, considering there's also Seton Hall and UConn and Villanova as well? Oh, I prepared very hard for this section, my boy. This is this is the one right here. First of all, <laughs> Providence is one of the like early initiators of the Big East Conference overall, right? Dating back to its origination, first of all. So the fact that this is the first time they've ever won the conference is huge. Um, I think that Ed Cooley deserves to be a National Coach of the Year uh, candidate. I know that's tricky with a lot of the teams that are in the mix and the guys that definitely um are in that mix of a top to top five I think in the conversation but I think he's been legit all year they definitely have played above their 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 weight uh Jami Durham is I would say he's maybe the second mm, that's that's where it gets tricky he's definitely a top three top four guard in the big east I know Colin Gillespie's been solid really uh, really good this season but I mean if you talk about somebody who can get you a bucket late Durham's been good all year he's one of the best free throw shooters in terms of not only getting to the free throw line, but also knocking them down all season. Jared Bynum and A.J. Reeves have been, like, catching fire as of late. It was a- it was, it was A.J. earlier, but Jared Bynum been sneaking up on folks these last couple of games. Obviously, when you look at the resume, they're taking out Wisconsin. That was earlier in the season, but if we're going to weigh their resume, right, obviously we have to bring it to the forefront. This is the tricky thing with Duke, like we were just talking about earlier. Like, how much are we going to weigh that? But getting UConn, I think, is huge. Uh, Taking down Texas Tech, taking down Seton Hall. Now, one thing that I do know is important to to frame things around, and Henry, I'll actually swing it to you in this uh, regard. There's three games for for Providence that got skipped, right, earlier in the season. And you you can only play who's in front of you, right? I do have to, you know, we do have to throw that out there. But there are many that would argue that if those games were played best case scenario when including those games is they would have went into that game against Villanova the other night with the Big East title on the on the line and considering the circumstance. Or are they playing Villanova right now? Villanova, Villanova just won. Yeah, I think they're playing Villanova right now, actually, just finished, right? So yeah. the game would have been the Big East title on the line tonight, and in this case, they would have lost. But instead, the circumstances where they won it outright the other day. So... Do you subscribe to the former or the latter in terms of Providence, in terms of how good they've been this season and whether or not they truly earned the top spot in the Big East? Because I do feel like it is worth negotiating. All right. Well, Jalen, first off, I'll start with the pro- or the positives because a lot of Providence fans have came for me uh, <laughs> in the last month or so. I, I would definitely say in January I, I was I was pretty down on them especially with how close they've played their games. Seeing how they've played, especially tonight, even though they lost, they went into Finneran Pavilion, which is probably the toughest place to play. I don't think it was completely full tonight, but it's still against Villanova, who I think is the best team in the Big East. They showed that they're, or Providence showed that they're a top 10 team tonight. I think what you said about Jared Bynum, I, I love Jared Bynum. Kempom has him as the sole major contributor on this team, but I honestly think he's a glue guy. Like whether he's dropping thirty on Georgetown or getting six plus assists consistently, he's been great for them. They just have a very solid all around team. They're going into the season, you thought that Nate Watson would be the star. 
and would stand out, but it's really just been a six or seven man deep team where they have, I wouldn't say they have the most depth because the rotation isn't too deep, but they've dealt with some injuries. Al Durham's been hurt. AJ Reeves has been hurt. So they've dealt with adversity like every Big East team. The argument can be made that, and a lot of Big East fans will put an asterisk on this because they got those three games canceled, especially UConn fans, which is a very fun feud to watch on Twitter if you if you want to follow something. Yo. But Coach Cooley, in my opinion, Ed Cooley is the national coach of the year. He What he's done with this team, his what he did in the transfer portal has been great. And I just, I, I like, you can't argue the facts. And the facts are that this Providence team is 24 and four now going into postseason play. And that's, they're, they're going to be probably after the next AP ranking, a little bit outside the top 10 after this loss. But I am a little scared for them in the postseason with the way I got all those positives out of the way. I know that was very long, but I am scared. They've there've been a lot of games this season, especially in Big East play, where they've played very close and gotten away with wins against the bottom teams like DePaul at the dunk, where they were supposed to easily win that game. The the crowd was rocking and DePaul took him to overtime, Providence escaped. Then they went to Hinkle to play Butler, which Hinkle, very tough place to play. A lot of the Big East arenas are, but especially Hinkle. But still, only beating a struggling Butler team by one, even earlier in D.C. when they were losing at half to Georgetown. They end up winning by 18, but it's still that worry. So I think when they're playing the better talent in March, especially in the Big East tournament, when teams need these wins, I'm, I'm a little worried for them. But seeing them perform very well in both games against Villanova, despite losing, is is a little assuring or reassuring. So, Ryan, I want to point that out just to kind of go through. So if we go back to January 20th and go through, beats Georgetown, 83-75, Butler up next, 69-62, the stretch starts getting really dicey after that. Two back-to-back wins over Xavier and Marquette. Combined win, a uh, combined win total was literally only, golly, six, five points. Uh, St. John's beat them by four. I mean, I watched the triple overtime game against Xavier. Like, I actually caught that one live, and it was ridiculous. You almost wondered if somebody was selling because <laughs> you're trying to figure out who was who was trying to give the game away. Down the stretch, obviously, too. So, I mean, I, I got to agree with Henry in terms of the fact that, like, if you talk about them, the, the one thing I will give them within this battle-tested uh, stretch where they've kind of had to sweat it out is I think the experience of coming out victorious is a solid thing moving forward when talking about the tournament. The thing that gets me concerned about them is how comfortable have they established themselves with winning? Because come tournament time, I don't know if you want your, you know, your 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 playoff hope, so to speak, to be in the balance of a lucky shot, a, a final call. I don't think that's how they want to play these type of games. 
But they're a physical basketball team, definitely a more upperclassman-led squad, too. Definitely a more experienced team overall. I think that's helped them in these close matchups. My belief is in these guys, right? Okay, I'm I'm putting stake and claim in this team. I've been doing this since earlier in the season. But that's why I had to bring it up about the idea of being a little worried about whether or not this whole them winning the Big East regular season title should go to their heads or not because there is a little bit of question marks here there. But, Ryan, I do want to get your thoughts on not just Providence but the Big East in its totality because let's keep it a buck. We were also big on Seton Hall coming in this year too. Because uh, Roden and them boys have been hooping all season. Obviously, we know what Villanova is about. So what are your thoughts, dude? So looking at Providence and their resume so far, they have good quality wins. Earlier in the season, you mentioned they knocked off Wisconsin. They also knocked off Texas Tech. And given how good both those teams are now, huge wins. They do have a blowout loss on the road against Marquette. And that, I think, is going to hurt them for seeding purposes in the NCAA tournament as well. And then you talk about the close wins that they have, the teams that you would think they would win by 15 to 20 points. Only beat Georgetown by eight. Only beat Butler by seven. You know, on the road by three, winning by three, should I say, uh, against Xavier. Only winning by two against Marquette. By four against St. John's. You know, it's these, it's the games that you think they'll win by a significant margin that they're barely coming out of that game with a win. And that is where the questions come in. How can you trust this team? Or will you be able to trust this team? And I think those are the, the sentiments that both of you guys are, are trying to point out. But look at looking at the rest of the Big East as well. Like I mentioned earlier, this is a loaded conference. A lot of teams could have had a chance at this at the at the Big East regular season title before this actually should I say when the season was uh progressing early on. Because at one point, every team in this conference had an above 500 record. And now, looking at the current standings, only two teams have a below 500 record. And that's Butler and Georgetown, who have lost 18 in a row. After winning the Big East tournament last year to get into the NCAA tournament, honestly, like I, I don't know what to think with this uh, Big East tournament this year, because... If there are this many good teams this year compared to last year, what will you? Where were we going to expect? Because maybe Georgetown, even though they've lost eighteen straight, could pull off what they did last year and win the Big East tournament again this year. That's that's the surprise level with this Big East right now. Ryan, I'll tell you this: the one team I, I can assure you will not win the Big East tournament is Georgetown. They, I mean. It's that's a team where like they they have some talent. I mean they have Ryan Mutombo, who's Dikembe Mutombo's kid. Aminu Muhammad, I think, is the best freshman or top two freshman. But Ryan Nemhard got hurt, so I think Aminu Muhammad is the freshman of the year in the Big East. But I, I think Georgetown struggles. I mean, last year they weren't the best team, obviously. But they, they were not 0-18 in conference play. So I just, with that, I, I can tell you with confidence that Georgetown will not win it. But I, besides that, any other team has a chance. I think DePaul, I've obviously seen the most of. They're, they have a slim chance, but I, I would not put it at zero like Georgetown. 
the Javon Freeman Liberty has been a very underrated guy. I'm sure not a lot of people who are fans of just college basketball in general know about him, but he is a name to look out for. He just had, I believe, he had a career-high 39 points last game against St. John's, so he's been balling. But towards the top, I'll give you guys my pick to win the Big East tournament. It's a little sneak peek because I'm going to give this out later on the Big East Coast Bias podcast. I I think UConn's going to win it. Although I think Villanova's the best team, UConn is the most talented team. Uh, They have one of the best backcourts in the league in R.J. Cole and Tyrese Martin. R.J. Cole, I'm seeing a lot of people saying he was snubbed from the Bob Cousy Award finalists for top point guard of the year. But besides that, they have the most dominant big in the Big East in Adama Sanogo. So they have the guys on in both the backcourt and the frontcourt. And they've got freshman Jordan Hawkins, who's coming to his own as of late. I, just, I, I really like their, their depth and their talent, and I think that's going to carry them. Yeah, Georgetown did take a couple hits in the transfer portal. They also lost Mac McClellan a couple years ago. Kudus Wahab yeah. as well uh, transferred to Maryland, so they did take a couple hits to their roster. But your point about UConn is great because I actually had questions about this team coming into this season with James Booknight not being there anymore, who's going to be the lead guy to step up. It's actually been multiple guys. You know, RJ Cole, Tyree Spartan, they've been great for them this season. Jalen, I know you were about to say something as well. I mean, for me, like you said, like like I said earlier, I mean, obviously I'm riding with Providence throughout this tournament, but the sneaky team for me is Marquette. I mean, like they're another team that I've been touching on a yes. lot earlier on this yes. earlier on this season. I felt a lot more confident in them, especially because Shaka Smart got them boys playing defense. But they're but the, getting Daryl Morcel, Ryan. This is a personal experience for us now because he's coming from the Maryland squad. He was not hooping like this last year, bro. He was not doing this. The fact that he's got Daryl Morsell being aggressive on the offensive end, that scares me. Tyler Kolek, one of the better passers, better facilitators in the in the entire conference. Justin Lewis, really solid at the forward position all year. Those two guys, talking about Morsell and Justin Lewis, those two guys strike fear in me a little bit to the point that if I had to pick, like, my, if I'm picking my sleeper, and I had to, for me, it's between Marquette and Seton Hall. I'm going with Marquette just because if there's anybody that I think loves to play the underdog role in a tournament setting, it's a Shaka Smart-led team. And so that's why they would actually probably be my, like, undercard in terms of if I had to go with a team underneath Providence that I would lean with. Henry? Yeah, Jalen, completely agree with you. I-, I love this Marquette team. I I wrote a piece about them, uh, I believe it was right before their Seton Hall game, like before they went on that run beating Seton Hall, Villanova, Xavier, and then Seton Hall again. They just, from top to bottom, I think they, I talked about depth a lot, they have the most depth in the Big East. Justin Lewis is a first-team All-Big East player. I thought he was the player of the year for me. The last couple of weeks have kind of shifted that. I think that award's going to Colin Gillespie. But then Tyler Kolek has been an unbelievable playmaker for them. You've seen him hit big shots, especially in that game at Butler where they didn't come out with a win, 
but he was hitting huge shots to keep him in that. And then he's also leading the Big East in assists. Jalen, you talked about Daryl Morsell, who's been great on both ends of the court. And then besides that, their their role or I'm blanking on the word, but they're oh supporting cast. They're supporting cast. Greg Elliott off of the bench. I, I went to um, Pfizer when they were playing DePaul, and he went off for a career-high 25 points, I believe. Th- this team has seven guys that can get them 20 on any night, and I don't know if I can say that about the majority of the teams in the country, let alone the Big East. And just to kind of uh, shout-out Seton Hall real quick, their backcourt of Bryce Aiken and Jerry Roden two phenomenal players in the conference as well. That's another team we can't sleep on, but you guys have made great points about Marquette. Yeah, Ryan, the only issue with Seton Hall is Bryce Aiken being hurt, and they've they've been not clear on when he's going to come back. So it's it, I don't know if he's going to be back for the tournament, but if he is back for this team, I think not only are they a contender to win the Big East tournament, I think that they can make it very deep in the NCAA tournament. I think all the teams that we've mentioned so far, Marquette, UConn, Providence, and Seton Hall, they all can make an impact. You did make a great point about uh, Bryce Aiken being hurt. I think that's definitely a question going into this tournament because how much of the scoring load can you put on Jared Roden and how reliable will the supporting cast be for Seton Hall as well? Because those are two questions that we've had pretty recently. And you're right. I don't know what the timetable is right now for Bryce Aiken to come back. So that will definitely be a factor as well. But real quick, we talked about Providence a little bit earlier. And Jalen made an interesting point about the fact that a lot of people don't think that Providence is going to be a very high seed, even if they win the Big East tournament. Uh, Jalen, correct me if I'm wrong. You said earlier Providence could be a four seed. I think people don't respect Providence's resume at all. I really think that the truth of Providence's run this season really is clouded by that three-game stretch that they didn't play, especially considering the the caliber of opponents. These are obviously all conference games too. I think I think if they win the tour, well, if they win the tournament. I, I think you got to put respect on them off top. Honestly, I thought that they would have sealed the deal had they gotten the win against Villanova tonight. I think that would have just cleared it. If you needed any kind of respect card, right, the pool come selection Sunday time, it would have been, hey, dude, we took we took out Villanova in the final stretch of the season. I think now, how far they get in the Big East tournament is going to be the difference between being like a two a three, and I think in some people's eyes, a four. I really do think there's people that view Providence's resume as being more of a caliber of a four seed, especially when you talk about the potential losses they could have had. Um, I don't know, man. Like I said, I I know I sound extremely pessimistic about this team going into the tournament, but it's not really pessimism about them. It's pessimism about like how other people view their road. And I think that's going to be one of those things that's going to, it's going to come up when it comes to Selection Sunday. It's going to be important to touch on that because how people feel about the way they got there is going to have more influence on any of than any of these other past couple of games. What they do in the Big East is recency bias. That'll help flip the tide around. Oh, Without that, I don't know. For sure. And I, I think that you're completely right on how far they get in the Big East tournament. 
the only way I see them getting that two seed is if they win it all and they beat Villanova in that championship game. I, I think that yeah. if Villanova, like they, if you're a Flyers fan, you want Villanova making it to that championship game. I, I think right now, I would have them as in between the three and four seed, and that's also it depends on how far they get. If they lose in the first, I would probably, they start off in the quarterfinals because they have a bye. I would, I think they have to at least win two games to stay on that three seed line. But it also depends on what happens around them. But they they have, it. like I said about Duke, they have the ability, it's in their hands to get, at least hold a three seed. Mm. So that makes a difference because they wouldn't have to play the one until the Elite Eight. Yeah, and again, I think it just comes down to what you said earlier, Henry, what happens around them. Because with how crazy the tournament was last year, this is a this is a Big East conference right now that I feel like personally anything can happen. And any team can come out of this conference right now. We have our favorites with Providence, Seton Hall, Marquette, UConn, Villanova, but then there, there's those other teams toward the bottom of the conference where you feel like they can make some noise. Georgetown, maybe not so much, but uh, just other conference, other teams like DePaul, Butler, you know, those teams that I think can really turn the tide for this conference um, in the Big East tournament. Creighton. But moving on to a, a Creighton, too. Yeah, Creighton, Creighton too, too. Like, yeah, bro. A team that we even talk about, and they took a lot, yeah. a lot of losses, or they they had a lot of losses last year with a uh, Zagorowski leaving and. Christian Bishop transferring to Texas as well. Yeah, yeah. Greg McDermott's done in a very impressive job, and they're one of the least experienced or most inexperienced teams in the country. I just, I said that Ryan Nemhard got injured, and I really think that's going to impact yeah. them. Like he, he, what he's able to do, his confidence as a freshman and his play, like it, he just exudes it. And I think he could have led that team on a Cinderella run. But without him, I, I can't see this team going as far. Right. Definitely, definitely. So moving on to our next topic, and we're, we're shifting our focus to a different conference, the Missouri Valley Conference. And yeah. this is a conference that over the years has gained a reputation that there's always one team that can make some noise. And – you know, last year and even the year before that um, was Loyola, Loyola Chicago. But in past tournaments, it was Northern Iowa. Now you have a chance that this conference can pull out four teams for four bids in the NCAA tournament. So the four teams that we think can possibly make the tournament in the Missouri Valley Conference are Northern Iowa, Loyola Chicago, Missouri State, and Drake. So, Henry, I'll start with you. Is this a conference where four teams will make the NCAA tournament? Ryan, I think four may be a bit of a stretch. The I Loyola right now is on Lunardi's. He is or Loyola is Lunardi's first team out. I got a chance to see him in person. I love Drew Valentine as a coach. Fun fact, if you didn't know already, because I didn't know, he is the brother of Bulls legend Denzel Valentine. Um, but what he he's 
he's been a, he's been the assistant for Loyola and he took over the role when Porter Moser went over to Oklahoma and he's done a great job in year one. They're a very old team and they're leaving the Missouri Valley Conference next year. So I think this is going to be their, their final farewell and they're going to end up winning this tournament. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know if I can see two teams making it out of the Missouri Valley. I think it's going to be if I think right now, if Loyola wants to control their fate, they need to get that auto bid and they need to win Arch Madness. I think that's what's going to happen. But I don't see any other team here with a quality resume like some of the other bubble teams from Power Six conferences. And that's just the tough part about being a mid-major team. Looking at this conference, and, and like you mentioned, Henry, there is the possibility that only one or two teams get in. Jalen, I want to get your thoughts real quick, because like I mentioned earlier, Northern Iowa and Loyola of Chicago, I think the conference comes down to those two teams, but then there's the Missouri States and the Drakes, both of them uh, with the same record, 22-9, and 13-5 in conference play. What are your thoughts on the Missouri Valley Conference overall, and do you think there's a chance that four teams can make it? I think, I mean, when you talk about credibility-wise, right, obviously once you start stepping out of the Power Five, it gets kind of tricky on trying to put multiple teams in there. And unfortunately, the MVC doesn't have the same luxuries that, like I mentioned earlier, you're talking about the ACC, the favoritism of the idea of sliding a fourth team into the NCAA uh, tournament in, as opposed to some other squads who may be a bit more deserving, but under the framework of who the best uh competition is the ACC gets the nod let's just go through like the resumes overall of some of these teams at least more so like from from a regular season standpoint some of the guys that have stood out so far this season and the last couple of games or so so for Northern Iowa AJ Green's been solid all season 19.1 points per game shooting nearly 40 percent from three which is nuts the Panthers nine and one in the last 10 games that's a way that's a way to go into a conference tournament first of all Missouri State Isaiah Mosley Ryan, I think you brought him up for a for our unsung Hooper episode, right? Like earlier in the season, averaging 20 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game is a 50-40-90 guy, something that you don't find a lot in the college game or in the NBA either. And that's huge. Uh, Gage Prim has been a huge player for them as well, 17.3 points per game, 7.7 rebounds, 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. Starts getting a little trickier as we go along. Drake has four players averaging double digits. Tucker Devries is the guy leading the way with 13.6 points. Garrett Sturts, 10, 11 points per game, 7.5 rebounds. They're going in five-game winning streak. Here's Henry's team talking about one of those first four out, talking about Loyola Chicago. Lucas Williamson, solid all season, 14.8 points per game, 4.8 rebounds, 2.9 assists, 40% from three. Started the season 14-2, and 8-5 and five in their last 13 games. That for me, if when we talked about setting up this topic, Ryan, I genuinely felt as though there might have been a chance to get two. I'm starting to lean more towards Henry's framework of thinking that there is only one. And I think, of course, it comes down to who wins the tournament, right? I think I would pick Northern Iowa as my favorite to win the tournament. I think they just have the most reliable guy to me outside of uh, outside of um, in this entire group. I think 
this team get. I think this conference gets one. I think this conference gets one. If I had to pick a backup, I'm actually going with Missouri State as my second one because I think they have the best chance, the second best chance to win the tournament. And Jalen, the, the reason I agree that they're one big league. The other three teams besides Loyola that were mentioned, Drake, Missouri State, Northern Iowa, their three best wins are all Loyola. They just no they point. don't have the resume. Yeah. The Loyola got to play some better teams earlier this season. They they had they were in the battle for Atlantis and they lost to Michigan State by two, only lost to Auburn by nine. But then they also have some of those power five, power six wins. I mean, they're given their Arizona State and DePaul, but that's still better than most of these Missouri Valley Conference teams. Right. That's just the only issue I see. The those teams have not played any good teams besides each other and Loyola. And having that, the the only team that has a chance, I think, at getting an at large bid is Loyola. And it's not looking great for that. Yeah. So, so Ryan, I kind of want to, I want to ask you a question about that. Cause I feel like that's a good point. When we talk about Loyola, Chicago, they obviously have the best resume of the group and nobody's, nobody on the podcast is debating that. I feel like we all are in agreement that Loyola, Chicago from a resume standpoint is best built to get in. I don't think they're the, the, the best team to come out in terms of, we're just talking about the tournament. Um, I, and so if we're talking about, you know, winning the conference tournament, my my question to you is, I think the way I want to the phrase this, I guess you both can kind of answer this, is the question is, which one do you think is weaker, the ACC or the MVC this season? Because I think both teams, I think both conferences amongst each other have been really solid this season. But, of course, there's the difference between the ACC being weak um, from an, from a... Uh, out of conference schedule standpoint and how they played out of conference as opposed to the Missouri Valley Conference that's been strong internally but hasn't done too much damage outside. So Ryan, I guess I'll start with you. I, like I said, I haven't been high on AC on the ACC all year. And I I, I kind of like some of these MVC teams a little bit better this season despite the fact that the resumes aren't too crazy. But like where do you stand? The funny thing is that you actually read my mind. I was about to transition to that point. Yeah, uh, right. Which conference do you have more faith in to have more teams? I think the difference between the two is that you have a favorite in the ACC. Like, a, a, like you know somebody's going to win it with Duke. I think they're the lock to win the ACC. With the MVC, it makes it a little bit tricky because Northern Iowa has been great recently, and it's mainly because of the play of A.J. Green. He's been one of the one of the best players in the MVC this season. Then you have the Loyola, the uh, the Loyola uh, Chicago's, the Missouri States, and the Drakes that can make it really competitive in the uh, the Missouri Valley Conference tournament. I think if I had more faith in a conference, I'm not going to lie. I think it's the Missouri Valley Conference because you know you look at the ACC outside of Duke, the resumes just aren't there. I mean. North Carolina, their one quality win this year was against Michigan. And like that wasn't, and Michigan was a team before the season that had, that had a lot of high expectations. Michigan fell very badly. And I think they're actually seventh in the big, the big 10 right now. They're now middle of the pack, big, big 10 team. 
Henry, where you where do you stand? I know I know it seems like a point blank answer, right? Like at the end of the day, I feel like the point blank answer is it's the ACC on a on a face value front. But I just feel as though this has been a conference that in conversation has been held up by Duke being so solid so far this season. And when you look at the other teams below it, like the last time me and Ryan talked about the ACC, I was still banging the table that Georgia Tech could make noise because it was just that close. Once you get past the top four, I felt like and obviously Georgia Tech hasn't held up the end end of the bargain. They left me holding the bag. But at the end of the day, I feel like it's an easier conversation maybe than I'm making it. But I just I think that just I'm just posing the question more so the, the stance that I think the MVC internally has just been more competitive. I'm going to give you the point blank answer. Okay. I, I think it's Duke, first off, when you have Duke at the top of the conference, it elevates the conference. Also, I'll, I'll give you this point. I think Loyola plays like a power six team. But when you're looking at these conferences, the ACC is weak in the scale of where they've been as a power six conference competing with other conferences like the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12. I I honestly think we're looking right now at the bottom team in the ACC, Georgia Tech. Other than Loyola, which I still think they could be, I, I think they're favored to beat every other team in the Missouri Valley Conference. Okay. And I, I think you can say the same with pretty much every other team in this ACC. The Missouri Valley Conference, in the in the scope of mid-majors, is a very strong conference, I would say, besides probably the, the Mountain West Conference, and I may be missing another conference right now, maybe the Atlantic 10, they're, they're top three. But when, you, when you're comparing them with a Power 6 conference, I feel like that's where the ACC they're they're weak, but they're not that weak. Right. Yeah. I, like I said, I posed the question with it more. I feel like the answer is obvious at face value, but I think I think that's more so my way of just framing it as the ACC has just been that weak, and the fact that we've been debating the idea of whether or not they deserve four makes me beg the like beg the question. Like, I think if they deserve four, I think the MVC deserves two on at face value but i think that the overall resume aspect of it i don't think it's going to point that direction i think i mean at the end of the day it's in loyola chicago's hands right i mean i feel like it's theirs to lose unfortunately yeah how about this i i let's compare it to players i think if you're if you're having you you compare an nba player probably a, a player towards the bottom of the nba and we're talking about this earlier then you go to the cba in china I it's it's saying would you say a top player in the CBA is better than one of the lower players in the NBA? Right. I I think it's there are different scales you have to look at. Some of these mid major teams like Gonzaga, like they've literally taken themselves like nobody evaluates them as a mid major team. They stand alone. Right. But other than Gonzaga, oh, and I forgot to mention the WCC. They're pretty solid this year. But I, I just think that when you're comparing these top conferences, like people will call them weak and I agree, but I think they're weak in the scale of where they should be and with all the talent they have and they've had in the past. But I think that the MVC is not on the same level. 
I feel. I feel. I just felt like it was just worth posing the question. I think that I think we've had enough yeah. fun oh, beating up the ACC this year. But it's I, a valid question. Yeah, I think yeah. it's an interesting. I think it's just an interesting thought experiment when you consider how low the ACC has been so far this season. But I got I do agree with you. If you're talking about, you know, we're talking about heavy, heavyweight versus featherweight type stuff going on in the framework yeah. of the committee, obviously. And then one more thing on this point, I. You would say this is probably the worst year that the ACC has had in recent memory. They're still probably going to get three or four teams in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, and the MVC, I think they're fighting for one right now. I agree. And this is one of their stronger years. I, I would say last year they got two in. They got Drake got a – did Drake get the auto bid last year or did – Drake was a first four. Yeah. I, oh, okay. So – they were, or were yeah. they? Did they win their tournament? I think uh, Loyola no, I think won. Loyola okay. won, so Drake but got then Drake the, yeah. Drake was able to Drake yeah Drake was able to get in. So that's a strong year for the Missouri Valley Conference. I think in a strong year they're getting two teams. In the weakest year we've seen from the ACC, they're getting four. And Jalen, you, you touched on it. It's definitely to some bias. Like North Carolina with their resume. It's not a tournament resume, no, but they sorry. still they still are sitting right there on the bubble, peeking in. So I mean, I just I think that there it's tough to compare the two. But it's definitely a great question to ask and a great exercise to talk about. Yeah, and like when you posed that question, it did give me a lot of thoughts about okay, let's look at each of the teams' schedule, each of each of the top four teams' schedules, comparing those comparing quality wins, like even if they had any, even like quality losses, like teams that, you know, they kept it competitive against. And, you know, I'll point out one real quick. Liberty beat Northern Iowa only by two. And then, you know, you look at the Michigan uh, loss that I referred to with North Carolina, the quality wins aren't there for either, either conference, to be honest. And, you know, if you had to bet on one conference, you would probably bet on the ACC simply because, Name value. They have Duke, and they sit right at the top of the standings. North Carolina sitting right at third place. Then you have two other teams like Miami and Notre Dame that can make some noise as well. You look at the other side of the Missouri Valley Conference, it's surprising to say that they're only a one-team conference, but in reality, it's true. You know, Loyola, Loyola Chicago seems like the team to beat in that conference, but you also have Northern Iowa, Missouri State, and Drake in there. So I'm going to take this chance to transition to the ACC talking about Mike Krzyzewski and Duke because obviously there's no way in the world that we can talk about March, right? No way in the world we can talk about March without the fact that Mike Krzyzewski is playing his last game against the North Carolina we were just mentioning mentioning before. And a ticket is over five stacks. Yeah. Let's talk about, hold on. We got to talk about this because look, I, I don't, my, my pocket's hurt just talking about how, how expensive a ticket is. But let's put things within the framework of just like why um, not only this game is so important, but this season is so important. I'm going to kind of frame things a little bit. So 47-year career overall from Mike Krzyzewski, nearly 1,200 wins, 12-time uh, conference champion um, champion in the regular season, 15-time uh, conference tournament champion, five national titles, a bajillion Coach of the Year awards. A dude who's been associated with all types of dudes from the NBA level. Um, Henry, first off, I kind of want to just get your perspective on Mike Krzyzewski 
just like what you know about him, what you've seen throughout his tenure at Duke, and just like thoughts on um like his coaching career, bro. Like it, it feels so nuts because like you want to talk about ends of eras. Like we've lived through some crazy stuff. Like Kobe retired while we all were like, you know, still like relatively younger, and like Dirk is gone, and Dwayne Wade's on TNT. And now we got Mike Shashevsky, right? Who's about to like hang up the the overcoat, which seems nuts. So, like, just your thoughts. Well, I'll say this: you don't stay coaching at this high of a level for forty seven years for no reason. There's I, there's reasonings out there. I, you got to put him down as one of the best coaches, if not the best, to ever do it. I mean, let's. If I'm doing some math, it's almost close to he's been coaching almost close to three times my lifetime. And that's just crazy for any coach to do that. I mean, coaches will do that and they'll be at some of the lower schools. But like to do that and bring Duke to what you said, 15 conference tournament titles. And how many times he win? Yeah, so 15 conference tournament titles, 12 uh, regular season titles, won five national championships. Yeah, in five national championships. I mean, I, I've i grown up as a Wisconsin fan, so his last one stung. I was actually there in Indy. Wow. But but um, all bias aside, I, I was, he's he's been a great coach. Got in top talent year in and year out. His You, you look at the Duke players in the NBA. Uh, I mean, even this year with Paolo Bencaro, who's, gonna, who's already – seeming like he's going to be a star so not only his impact on the collegiate level but his impact on players transitioning to the professional level so a great career you it's even hard to put him in the same category as anyone else so and even coaching team usa for this long so congratulations to coach k and wish him the best of luck in retirement Ryan, same thing, bro. Just thoughts. I mean, it's bizarre, right? I mean, to think, again, like we said, we've lived through some crazy, some crazy times. I mean, Ryan, we even did an episode, you know, commemorating, you know, Kobe's passing once upon a time. It was about a year ago that we had that take place. But we've seen a lot of dudes come and go in basketball, um, players, coaches, and different. And this, by far, is probably one of the craziest ones, and I don't think we'll have another really crazy like heart hitting guy leave basketball until like LeBron James hangs up the, you know, the sneakers. So like, you know, like what are your thoughts? Like overall, we'll get into like Duke a little bit more specifically. Cause I actually do have some questions that I wanted to ask you guys about like Duke in the, the framework of the, uh, the, the March madness, but um, just thoughts on coach Krzyzewski, you know, overall. Honestly, if he's not the greatest coach of all time, he is top five for sure. And when you mentioned, you know, how people how people in basketball come and go, Roy Williams last year retiring on April Fool's Day mm-hmm. of all days. Uh honestly, I was I was shocked at that one. I'm even more shocked at this one because they're two coaching staples of the ACC. Um you know, for me growing up watching Coach K as a Maryland fan, uh, the prime rivalry was will always be Duke and North Carolina. The underrated rivalry is Duke and Maryland, especially 
in the early 2000s when you have guys like Shane Battier, Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, you know, J.J. Redick uh, toward the middle of the 2000s as well. Gravis Vasquez even toward the back end of the 2000s, John Shire. It's just the decade from 2000 to 2010, I think, was the prime of the ACC for me watching, you know, Maryland and Duke go at it, watching Duke and North Carolina go at it. I think those are just the memories that I'll miss with Coach K gone because he had such a big impact on those rivalries and he was such a staple in a lot of those players getting to the NBA, getting to, you know, greater places, even in coaching, because John Shire is, is set to be the next head coach at Duke. And, you know, he was on that championship team in 2010. It's just the impact on basketball, I think, is what's going to be missed from Coach K. Like you mentioned, uh, like like Henry mentioned earlier, 47 years. Like, you know, being somewhere for 47 years is an amazing accomplishment, but Coach K had such had had immense success at Duke, and he was able to turn around this program, bring it many national championships, send many players to the NBA, and I think his impact will be will be missed for sure. I hope John Shire can have the same impact as Coach K, but those are going to be very big shoes to fill. So everybody was very reminiscent and respectful, and Jalen's not doing that. I was brought up in the midst of all of this nonsense. I was born into the North Carolina Duke Road rivalry. My dad is from North Carolina. And you want to know when I first started watching basketball religiously as a college basketball fan? 2010. So this dude has had a lot of impact on my uh, college basketball fandom. So bye. First of all, my guy, g- g- big ups to you in retirement, as my guy Henry said before. Obviously, hope they're all health as well. But look, bro, in all respects, this, this is a guy who has been the thorn in the sides of many. I mean this in the most respectful, big ups kind of way possible, actually. He's been a guy that's been the difference between a lot of coaches being in this conversation for one of the best coaches like of all time, right? When you talk about the kinds of teams that Duke has put out of the tournament, the kind of teams that Duke has held, you know, way below expectations. And speaking from a North Carolina fan perspective, you want to talk about like some of the most bizarre games ever? Like, oh my goodness. Like I still have beef with John Henson here and there. You know what I mean? Like it's some, like looking back at some of those old games and stuff like that. So. Overall, as a as as a North Carolina fan, this is this is saving grace. This is time to take over the conference, right? But like in its totality, I feel like this is one of those end of the era things that I think is gonna shake up college basketball next season. This is another one of those things where like, you know how everybody thinks that like the NFL is about to look way crazy because Tom Brady might be retired. I said Mike because I think he's bluffing. But like if he is, you know what I mean? Like if it's if it that's real life, the NFL just as a whole will feel different. I feel like college basketball in its first year without a Krzyzewski team is just going to feel different initially. And I I feel like that's just something worth pointing out. But here's what I wanted to really talk about from a, from a basketball standpoint, fellas. It's Duke's legitimacy 
within this tournament space and how much faith we truly have in them. So, Henry, I want to get your thoughts first when we talk about Duke. Um, fourth in the country, like we talked about earlier, 25-4. and four. Um, Biggest win, obviously, has to be the early season win over Gonzaga. But, yeah. again, this is a team that's been pretty solid all season. A.J. Griffin has definitely stepped up his game over the latter half of the season after kind of starting out slow. He also was coming into the season a bit injured. Um, they've had a handful of guys play really well. Trevor Trevor Keels has been in and out of the lineup, which makes me a little bit concerned. Paolo's been solid all season. What are your thoughts on this team as a legitimate championship contender with the squad that they have? Well, I think that they – I like them to get decently far. I think this is for sure – a Sweet 16 Elite 8 team, especially with the fact that they'll probably be a one seed or two seed. But I, a lot of Coach K's teams are young, so you can't harp on that. I just, I, similar to Providence, not as big, but they've played in a lot of close games, especially in the ACC, where we've talked about how it's been at its weakest. They should be cakewalking through it, and it. At some points, it has not been a cakewalk. And just like Providence concerns me, Duke does too. But this is a team, we just talked about how Coach K is one of the greatest to ever do it. So you always have to have some faith in that. And they also have a top three NBA prospect in Paolo Bencaro. Their their role players have been playing well. But I just think this is another team where come March – and especially in history, there have been points, especially as a higher seed, where they've struggled and they've lost some of those even first round games, like that two fifteen matchup. I know that was not very recent, but it's still something to think about. Yeah, Ryan, same thing, bro. Because I mean, for me, of the top teams that we discussed earlier, when we talk about like the top seeding, um, Duke was the one that we all were kind of frisky on in terms of how much we have faith in them but like you know coming back to that and looking at what like the table set ahead of them like how do you feel about them like if you had to pin them somewhere right now like how far do you feel like they can get this is the coach k swan song so obviously there's a certain level of um credence that everybody is going to want to give to him this season um and show that on the floor as well obviously march madness is a every shot matters kind of Tourney is not one of those things like the NBA with series. So obviously there's a lot that goes into this, but I think that from a storyline standpoint, I fear Duke because they have something they're playing for that I think doesn't match up with anything else that anybody else has in the country outside of maybe Baylor trying to go back to back. I think out of from a motivation standpoint, I think no other team has a better storyline in college basketball to play for than Duke outside of maybe Baylor. And I think that is something we're talking about in terms of how dangerous they could be. So I do have my concerns about Duke, but I think they are also my championship favorites. You look at the rest of this team, you look at the schedule, They've their losses are not blowout losses. Even though their losses are to questionable teams – their losses aren't blowout losses. You lose to one by Virginia, and it was on a game-winning three-pointer by Reese Beekman. Florida State, 
lost by one in overtime on the road. The loss at home to Miami is definitely questionable. But given how good Miami has been this year, it's not as questionable as we thought it would be. And then earlier in the season, Ohio State lose by five. Ohio State's a top 25 team. They have a good roster too. And not a lot of people are talking about Mark Williams. Mark Williams has been a player with a lot of potential. He's improved in almost every category from last year to this year. I think he's going to be a guy that can make a huge impact in the ACC tournament. Paulo Bancaro, again, like I said earlier, top five prospect. He will he will be in the running for the number one overall pick. I just think for me, like, like Jalen mentioned earlier, the storyline is there and Duke has something to play for. Coach K is retiring, so that's something to play for. You look at the freshmen that have stepped up big time, Paulo Bancaro, one of the top players in the country. A.J. Griffin, I think, is going to win ACC Freshman of the Year as well. I think all the pieces are aligning for Duke to win the national championship this year. Okay, so Henry, I want to get your retort on that because I feel like that's that's a bold claim we're talking about after like being a little little you know hesitant on them. So I want to get your thoughts in response to that. That caught me lacking too. <laughs> on Duke winning it all or who I think will win it all? I mean, just your response to A, like what he said, and then if you want to give your pick, oh, you, you know the Hoop Talk podcast is always ready for predictions, for sure. <laughs> well, I think it's, I, I'm not like, it's not like saying Duke is going to win it all. I'm like, no way. That's that's crazy. I do, I, I, I'm not in agreement with it. But they are, like I said, they're a team that any given year with the coaching staff and with the talent they have can make a run. Do I think they will win it all? No. I, I, I'm going to right now say, and this, this will fluctuate, and I, I don't know what I'll think tomorrow, but today I, I think that Gonzaga is going to win it all. They've, they've gotten oh so close so many times. But they haven't gotten over that hump, especially last year. They were they were the clear one team, but Baylor was right there behind them, and Baylor blew them out in the championship game. And they've made it. They made it to what? Let's see. They made it to the championship game last year. Then they made it to the Elite Eight in 2019, Sweet 16, 2018. But wait, I may be reading this wrong but they've they've consistently made the tournament they've consistently performed well and I think having that consistency having the new guys and Chet Holmgren the guard play Andrew Nemhard right now is on the Bob Cousy finalist or is a finalist for Bob Cousy point guard of the year so I, I think their talent every year is great they have the guys Drew Timmy is back for them I, I like them to win. But that's my pick right now. Who knows what will be tomorrow. But for the Hoop Talk podcast tonight, it is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I feel you, bro. I feel I feel you. I think that the conference tournament is going to help us figure this out a little bit. If I had to go with anybody right now, I'm going with Baylor. Baylor getting that win over Kansas is huge. I think them winning over Texas is big, too. Just because I was on Texas heavy coming into the season. And they have given me heart attacks on a week-to-week basis when it comes to <laughs> how much faith you can put into their team. I still feel like they're going to be a dangerous outcome tournament time. But right now, 
you know, Texas is on the downslope with Baylor being the team that just last beat them. I think Baylor, um, like I said, if you want to talk from a from a storyline standpoint, they're probably the second most motivated team. In their eyes, they're probably the most motivated team. But to me, they're probably the second most motivated team in the entire country in terms of what winning a national championship this year couldn't end up meeting for them. We got to end spicy. So I want to end with some top five stuff. I feel like this is always an interesting debate on our podcast because the top fives tend to look a little bit different, whether it's the players or the order. Um, we got to talk about National Player of the Year. We're coming on that that the end of the spectrum. Um, I'm going to share my five guys first, and then I want to get you guys' not only reactions, but also some of the guys that you might have in the mix for this. I got Oscar Sheway at the top. This dude has been a problem all season. The dude came into the season saying he wanted to average 20 and 20, and is like flirting with it real hard. And I think that I feel like one of these days he's going to grab 40 boards and just clear the room. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the dude is averaging a, a double, a monster double-double. Uh, number two, I got Johnny Davis. Uh, you talk about the Wisconsin stuff. Johnny Davis has burst on the scene ridiculously, not only just – on the college level, but like he's, he's in the top 10 discussion in terms of NBA lottery picks, which is a crazy way to play yourself onto the scene when you're a guy who just averaged seven points a game last season and now is averaging just over 20. I got Ochai Abaji from Kansas at number three, Kofi Coburn at number four. And I don't, I don't like picking the line eye guys, but uh, outside of Io DeSumo, that's my guy. But outside of that, I'm not big. On, on, on Big Ten guys, but these last two, Kofi Coburn and EJ Liddell. EJ Liddell's been huge for Ohio State, too. Those are my five. I snuck my guy. Um, I, I snuck my guy, Jabari, in at sixth. Had to slide him in there. But um, those would be my top five guys. Uh, Henry, I'll go with you first. Who, who do you got in that mix? I like your list. I think right now it's a, a two-man race okay. between your two top two guys or your top two guys. Right now, I have it. It's Johnny Davis. Ooh, okay. the, the impact he has had on this Wisconsin team, yeah. relative to Oscar Sheway's impact, they've both been enormous. That's why they're the top two candidates. But to to lead this team, who was this was predicted to just be an off season for Wisconsin. They lost three three or four starters last year, and Johnny Davis has brought them back to somewhere that they haven't been since that 2015 season in one seed contention. And when that happened, they went to a championship game. And I, I think the his ability to – like, Wisconsin has not had many guys that have averaged 20 points the list is definitely very small if not just him but he's he's averaging 20 half points 8.3 rebounds he's just been a great leader uh, on this Wisconsin team and someone that they can sometimes fall back on but they they don't Wisconsin doesn't need to fall back on players because they're they're just a they're a team but and then other than that Oscar Shibway I think he's a two right now. I think he's a favorite right now to win it. Mm -hmm. What what Kentucky has done this year, especially after last year, where I don't, I don't believe they made the tournament last year. Mm -hmm. So so the, to have that quick turnaround, and it's in large part due to Oscar Shibway. You, you're saying how he wanted to flirt with 2020, and that's exactly what he's done. Where he's putting up 16.9 points per game and 15.3 rebounds per game. 
those those stats are unheard of, especially at the high major level. I I think right now it's a two man race, and I, I would not be surprised if it went either way with these two players. And I don't blame you with Johnny Davis. I mean, him and Oshai Abaji, I think there was a stat that was pulled up that like when those two guys play against one, quad one and quad two opponents, they are different. They're different animals. Like they literally, when it comes to uh caliber of competition, they always have played up and have probably had throughout the season their better games against the top competition, which I think is huge. Ryan, um, I gave you my list, but also according to oddshark.com, this was as of February 25th. So there probably are a little bit of adjustments here. From the Vegas numbers, but based off this right now, Oscar Sheway was favored at minus 150. Kofi Kirk Coburn was right behind him at plus 500. Johnny Davis at plus 600. Keegan Murray, a guy that I didn't mention from Iowa, at plus 600. Oshai Abaji at plus 1400. And Chet Holmgren at 2500. I think that one's a sleeper, but I don't know. That one's Chet's been like quiet solid all year. Like he's been like. He's doing everything that NBA scouts want to see him do. But I wonder if, like, on a college level, um, just how insane some may have considered him to be. I also think that him and Drew Timmy are splitting votes, um, which is a tricky thing. But um, your thoughts? So, for me, Oscar Shibwe wins it. He's one of the best rebounders in the country. He's one of the best defensive players in the country. He can pretty much do it all for this Kentucky team. And, again, you look at last year – this was a Kentucky team that was plagued with inexperience. And the continuity on that team was an issue. A lot of freshmen, a lot of young players, they really couldn't play together. And, you know, they were not able to win win the SEC at all. They came nowhere close to winning the SEC. They came nowhere close to uh, entering the NCAA tournament either. I think they're also in the conversation for being a championship favorite. Um mainly because of the play of Oscar Sheboy. He's been phenomenal, a guy who could be averaging 20 and 20 um, this season. He was very close to averaging 20 and 20, um, but he's just been phenomenal this season. But you mentioned Keegan Murray, Jalen, and I think Keegan Murray's the dark horse because Keegan Murray took such a big leap from last year to this year in scoring that it's not getting talked about nearly enough. Like, Keegan Murray was on the bench behind Luca Garza last year. And he is taking over for Luca Garza, and he is making this national play this this national player of the year race more complicated than it already is. He's like the third leading scorer in the country. Again, another top rebounder in the Big Ten. And he's had multiple 30-point games where He's just simply taken over. This is a guy who does not shoot a lot of threes, but this is a guy who will do most of his work in the paint and in the mid-range. Yeah, I have no beef with Keegan Murray. I have beef with Iowa just from last season. You know how I was all last year. I was banging the table. I thought that Io should have gotten a Big Ten Player of the Year over Luka. That was me banging the table all year, not getting heard, but it's cool. I think that EJ Liddell has a legitimate case, too. He's a guy who could have went into the NBA draft last year, put his name out in floaters, put his feelers out there, got some info back, came back, started shooting 37% from three, averaging 2.5 blocks per game, like doing a little bit of everything toolsy-wise, like a toolsy-wise, it's like a small ball five guy for them this year. I think EJ Liddell, if I had to pick somebody that was my like dark horse, I would actually pick him coming out of the Big Ten. 
Um, again, maybe a little bit of Iowa slander there out of my my bias. But at the same time, I feel like EJ has really taken the criticisms from last season coming from the NBA draft combine stuff and really put it into practice. And it's been really solid for Ohio State so far this season. But Henry, I'm going to bring this to you for um, the final words of the pod. We do this where pretty much our guests, we let them get any of their final points regarding any of the topics we talked about today off. Um, any things they want to plug, anything that they have coming up, or just anything in terms of food for thought for the audience in terms of something you want them to walk away from this podcast uh, taking? Well, first off, I'd like to thank you both for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Uh, as for my final thoughts, I'm just very excited for this month that we have ahead of us, March. I honestly think it's the most exciting month of the year. We have four straight weeks right now of the most elite college basketball. So very excited for that. Um, if you want to see my work, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Henry E. Eisenberg. That's where I post all of my articles. I also will tweet a lot about college basketball. So if you want to see my stuff, make sure to check me out there. Other than that, like I said, just very excited for March. Thank you guys for having me on. It's been a great time. Yeah, man, definitely. And one of the things we didn't get to talk about this too much on the pod, we're going we're gonna to have to sneak the homie Henry on for some Chicago Bulls conversation. Love we did that. a lot of this. We did all of this off podcast. But when I found out that this man was a Chicago Bulls fan and a quiet Trey Young ap apologist. Oh, oh, I found out he was my best friend on the low key. So, you know, we're going to have to talk some NBA basketball the next time we have this man on the podcast because that that's a blast. That right there is a blast. But we've definitely enjoyed having you on for this college basketball stuff. All this stuff in terms of all the work that he is uh, putting out, going to be putting out and what he's already had um, show up on his Twitter. We're going to put all of the bylines and stuff like that in the description below for this episode. So definitely check that stuff out. Ryan, solid episode as always, bro. We're doing this late, late on the East Coast, bro. So let's get the heck out of here. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you think will be the National Player of the Year when the season ends? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace!